Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the True Man podcast, the podcast where I interview men because I want men to talk. Today I'm joined by Rich Hearn. Thank you so much for being with us today. How are you? Thank you for having me. Um, very well, thank you. Excellent. Um, yeah. Awesome. First question, toughest question, my favourite question by a country mile. What makes Rich a man? <laughs> Um, okay, so yeah, I was expecting this question, I guess. I've tried not to think about it. Um, what makes me a man? I suppose it's more like what makes me the man I am, right? Right, because I don't really see... I, I almost see, like, men or the man that I might describe as a man is probably not necessarily me. I'm just who I am. I'm, I'm what am I, part my wife, part my kids, part my upbringing, um, and... Uh, and a lot, yeah, okay. I have thought about this actually, and I've just, I've just remembered what I was thinking this morning, and, and how to sort of have this answer that's like a, a good answer. But I suppose I am the sum of all the choices I've made in life, and some of the choices other people have made for me, and uh, that's all we all are, isn't it? Bunch of choices. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Let's clip that. Nice. Uh, nice philosophic answer. <laughs> so. You mentioned and mentioned a number of things there that sort of influenced that as well, and you also said that that's that what you are. So it'd be interesting to get an opinion on what what you think it is a man today that is outside of outside of you, essentially. Yeah. Okay. Well, what is a man? Um, okay. Well, there's obviously the so I, I, yeah the obvious genetic bits that make someone a man. Yeah. Um, and. Is there a mindset that makes you a man? Um, I don't know. You know, I, I think that, that this is another thing I was thinking actually. That I'm probably going to answer a lot of these questions with questions, because I, I remember taking my daughter to see Zootropolis, and that's what the fox tells you is the intelligent way to talk about things. So yeah, if I haven't got an answer, you'll know because I've answered with a question um, or a what, Disney quote. Yeah, yeah, or Disney quote. Um, and I think really though, the answer is I don't really know. Like what? what is a man it's so nowadays it's kind of open to interpretation i suppose to some degree it's uh you know we're all different yeah definitely i mean it's i think i think you hit the nail on the head the first time around right it's it's what you make it and i think that's probably what i'm trying to sort of emphasize i think it's a really tough question i think it's a question that's being asked a lot and or it's something that's being questioned like being a man is being questioned and that's why I want to address it and I want to understand what people what people's thoughts are on it. So um, this podcast is designed around you and, and what it is and sort of how you've sort of got to where you are now. So it'd be a great to get a little bit of an understanding of, uh, I always I always use this, uh, little rich, I won't use the, uh, the <laughs> option uh, of, what, uh, of what, what it was like sort of growing up as, as little rich. Mm, okay. So yeah, I've I've been thinking about this a lot recently. I think because I started a business in 2018, I've spent like various times in the last five years thinking about what my story is. Um, and as you know, the other day I managed to kind of get it down to like a two-minute little pithy idea. But that means I fluffed over a lot of the little rich. But I remember, in I had some close friends in school. You know, when I was really small. But and that was always I've always had to like tight close unit of friends and then um some of those i've still got now but sort of take people come and go 
I suppose. And, and so that, that happened to me in school. I think I moved to different schools and had friends and then had other friends. Um, got into music really young. I remember playing, and this is part of the bit that I cut out because my, some of my rock and roll mates now laugh at the fact that the first instrument I played was clarinet. <laughs> this was at primary school. kind of, And I remember going to primary school on the day that we were kind of given musical instruments and and I kind of I must have been late that day because I don't think I'd have chose I, I was like what's left, and I, and I actually thought, and this isn't like whatever old I was eight or nine year old and I was already thinking about like well do you know what that like I could progress onto sax and that's a bit cooler, <laughs> I was already quite aware of of the perception of things you know what I mean and what that yeah, yeah. looked like, um, which I guess I then brought into my sort of music career because I. I did that like played clarinet for a year smashed grade one was pretty good on it then then was given guitars was doing some kind of kumbaya around the campfire sessions in a teacher's classroom at a primary school i remember learning to strum a bit of guitar and then when i was 11 i managed to blag my parents into getting me a drum kit after i remember hearing my sister blasting rape me by nirvana and I was like, what the hell is this? I, I was really offended by it. I was like, it's about rape. I just, I was such a young child, I couldn't sort of see anything beyond the surface level of it. And then I heard Rage Against the Machine, and again, I was like, oh my God, he's just swearing. <laughs> and then within about two weeks, I was like, oh my God, I want a drum kit, and I need to learn how to do that. And then, you know, then I never looked back, and that was my start. And then I went into guitar again. So uh, what was the question? What was I like as a kid? <laughs> <laughs> I liked music. That was yeah, cool. nice. Yeah, nice. And well, I, you can sort of explain what what that's led into uh, sort of later on. But mm. I guess what what sort of comes out of that is that is that passion for uh, something, a hobby, um, an instrument, and that sort of thing. So how how did you find that love, and how have you still essentially got that love for that, or was that a rediscovered love later in life? Um. Like I say, how, how I can't remember the first day that like a musical instrument was put in my hands, but I think music's always been something I've been interested in. And my dad was a big music fan. He loved music. He loved kind of everything from, well, the Beatles to Jethro Tull. So he was quite folky and quite, but but just loved music, but never really pursued it as a hobby. He was he was more of a visual kind of artist, um, and. And so, yeah, but I, I don't know where, like, whether that, where that came from. My mum always says as well that her father was uh, a really good pianist. He, he he never really learned how to play, like the notes and stuff, but he could just bash tunes out. So it was very social. What use of music? He was. Uh, uh, I've sort of married into a family of musicians, but my my um, father-in-law is a brass band composer. So more on the kind of classical side, and I ended up joining a choir in like ten years ago. I almost say it was like that was like the prenup agreement. I'm allowed to marry his daughter if I join his choir. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. Music just just became this thing that, and it's I don't know if it's become more of a thing in my life over the years. That's like medicine, you know. It's like it can pick you up, and you know. So whether that's always been there, and I've only kind of put the pieces together as I've grown up. Uh, I don't know, but I've always just found like this c deep connection with music that's, I suppose, yeah, has, has helped me present who I am and understand who I am. So do you know what I mean? I remember being like a, a grebo, they would have described me as a grunge kid. And, it was like, that, and that was like, that was perfect for me. That was like, yeah, that, that this says a lot. And it meant I could dress a certain way and I could be a certain, behave a certain way. And 
and I felt comfortable, and that's so. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. I don't know where it came from. Cool. So I, 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 I agree with you. I think music is one of those things that is, well, any, anyone, obviously anyone can enjoy music, but like I say, especially in earlier years, it sort of helped shape those identities. I used to have long hair as well, uh, <laughs> which was an interesting style choice. I don't know whether that was more of a rebellion as well, because when I was a kid, I used to just get my head shaved, like pinned down and have every, like just literally just buzz cut all over. So combination of rebellion slash listening to head flicking music. So yeah, that I get that. And I, I speak to a lot of people now and I think even, even for people that it's not really ever been a passion for music and it's very easily to, and very easy release, very easy to find the mood you're in and sort of engage in that or change your mood, change your mood as well. I've got uh, friends that see it as a, a solution to mm. uh, a problem that they might have. It's better to go listen to some hardcore rock than potentially doing something a little bit out of the ordinary, shall we say? So yeah, I uh, yeah. for me, I've never I've never been like musically talented. I know what a I know what a clarinet is, and I know what a piano <laughs> is, but that is about as far as it goes. So yeah, even even for people that are musical, I think it's I think it's really important. But yeah, I. I I imagine if you've got a, an additional passion there, that it's somewhat of a of a, of a greater greater release, so to speak. Yeah, do you know what? Thinking about the passionate bit behind music, like that, I think when I was thinking about this, I, I, I wasn't passionate for the clarinet. You know, I just played it, and, but when I got to like an age where I thought that I that this was defining my life, like music became the thing. When I was fourteen, I played my first gig, although the bass player in that band challenged me online the other day and said, I think we were 13, actually. But the fact is, we played a gig and we were really young, and, it, and I, I remember that being a terrifying experience. I was absolutely bricking it. And, and I re remember it vividly because of that. I was like, oh, my God, that was horrible. But actually, when we'd done it, it was great. And we were like, we play, you know, we used to play like we were playing in front of 5,000 5, people if we were playing in front of five because that was just the decision we made. We went, we are going to rock this like we're headlining Glastonbury because that's where we want to get to. So we're going to fake it till we make it and just, just have fun. And like, yeah, then I spent the next 15 years. I think the, th the passion changed though, I suppose. It was like, I loved doing music, but then I realized that I loved making music more than performing it. So I was quite happy to kind of not have to go on stage. I'd rather just be in, write and, and do the creative process of writing music. And then eventually I found that like, I just enjoyed being around music and, and you know, ended up doing sort of more marketing and, and helping other musicians, helping other musicians pursue their passions, if you like, uh, became my passion, I suppose. And that's what it is now. It's like, I think I always feel like I'll retire into music like I learned how to play guitar, I can play guitar well enough to to go and do some busking or just to play for fun, you know. Yeah. So when I, when I'm old and there's no, I'm got a pension because I've pursued the life I have, then um, <laughs> I'll just busk. You'll just busk, yeah. I cool. Love life, yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. So you obviously mentioned mentioned friends in there as well. So how has music been to to one keep friendships, to also mm. foster them and make them? Well, yeah, my my best friends, best friends at high school, I guess, were my bass player and drummer. Yeah, like when because we were together at like thirteen to maybe eighteen, and 
that was just tight. You know, we were like brothers. And, and as much as like we loved what we were doing, we were working hard together. And eventually we kind of just really annoyed each other, I think. Um, but then all, all the kind of music projects I've been in have been close friends. Not that I haven't had friends outside of them, but there came a point, I think, where I made a decision in life. And I think I thought that it had to be music and nothing else. And, and in later life, I kind of met people and went, what, you like football and you do music? Like, I didn't realize you could do that, you know? Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I had close friends. I, I mean, I messed up some close friend relationships, really, thinking about it. If you want to get really sort of personal, I messed them up through girls. There's two in particular that I remember, actually. I've never talked about this, but there's a guy, a friend of mine who lives in um, Japan now, brilliant artist who was always an amazing illustrator and he really liked this girl and I was at this is when I was going to Glastonbury and was kind of behaving quite rock and roll I think and didn't give a shit about anyone apart from myself really and yeah there came a point where um, I sort of misbehaved with the girl that he was he was had his, had his heart set on really they weren't together but it was a you know it wasn't a good thing to do really yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, uh, I mean, th thankfully, my my friends have horrendous taste in women. I'm joking. <laughs> it's just not the same as mine. So that's always uh, that's always good. So it's interesting you say that that you you were solely music. So like, you there must have been a point where it was like, right, we're we're not making it, or we're not going to be where we want to get to, and mm. that's your sole purpose. So. What was what was that like? What was that realization like? Oh man, I I think about this now, and the fact that like I describe myself as a failed rock star, and it's a badge I wear proudly, because like we had a go, and um, really the guy I'm working with now, Liam, who who is my colleague um, and, and business partner, he got my band the best ever opportunities we ever had. So we we went through stages with bands. It was like we were kids, and we were pretty good. And so, and we somehow, I think my drummer's drummer's uh, mum knew a couple of people, and so we had like a couple of guys from some big major record labels come from London to our rehearsal room in in Alsager, and tell us we needed to write pop songs. And I remember laughing him out of the room. You know, we'd be like, oh, dickhead. Yeah. He was probably right, in fairness. And then we had, an, yeah. So we had a couple of people coming and sniffing around us at a very young age, um, but we weren't. We weren't ready for anything really then. You know, we just weren't. We were kids. And and then when we got to the age where we perhaps thought we were ready for something, we had a producer in Manchester and he knew we weren't ready. And he told us and we were thinking, no, oh, get lost, we could handle it. He was like, if you got signed and, and got famous now, you'd all just die. You'd, <laughs> you, you just wouldn't be able to handle it. And he was probably right again. But eventually I realized that the only way that we were going to get anywhere was through doing it ourselves. And actually I sort of had this, I've always had this rebellious streak, I guess. And, and sort of went, I don't like the way the music industry is. I don't like the fact that I've got to appeal to whoever it is. I just want to do it myself. Hello. This is Will, he's my son. He's, he's just telling me he's gonna strip a Warhammer model. Oh, nice. Hey, Will, welcome to the podcast. So the industry, yeah, the music industry. And I was like, do you know what? I I don't think anyone's going to take us seriously until we have proved ourselves. And I, I feel like that with, like, yeah, all the artists I work with. you kind of got, got to get yourself to a certain point. So 
I took it on myself to kind of learn the industry and how it worked and uh, marketing and promotion and how to kind of do all that stuff. And we were doing okay. You know, we got to the point where we were in our 20s and we'd kind of, uh, we'd started to kind of make a few things happen ourselves. We, you know, we'd got a PR company down in London. We'd saved some money. And then we started working with Liam, who I work with now, and he got us the best opportunities the band had ever had. I don't know what the timeline is, but I lost my dad 16 years ago, and I that was a very dark period of my life. And I think it coincided with me quitting the band and the band kind of ending. And we got, you know, so I think that's, yeah, that that's sort of part of the timeline. I, I, for some reason, like it's a bit of a blackout, and I don't, well, I know why, because it was a bit of a blackout period in my life. I, I can't quite put the pieces together, but I know when my dad died, we were gigging in, in France in the Alps. This was like a covers gig, but we were over there just after. Do you know the band The Feeling, sort of pop? Yeah, yeah, no, pop, it, pop yeah. band. Yeah. Well, they were there the year before, and they had a different name, but they were over there as a really good covers band who then like threw in some original stuff. And we were there the year after, and people were going, we had the feeling last year, you guys should do, do you do original stuff? Uh, and those gigs were amazing, even though we were doing covers, which I remember growing up when I was 16 to maybe 20, thinking I'd rather eat my arm than play covers. I thought, I thought it was prostituting your art. But actually, getting paid to snowboard and gig for three months was, was quite a good gig. Um, but we were over there, we'd just played a, an apres ski, and we'd had like crowd surfing people with with ski boots on, just kicking ass. And then I got this phone call, and I remember I collapsed onto my like just on my knees. And Joe, who's the lead singer of the band, kind of took the call first. I think someone phoned him, handed it over to me, and I just collapsed and, and then just drank myself into a hole, and somehow managed to get home, get a flight home, and. And then, yeah, I just think I had a few years that were really hard. And perhaps that came at the same time as, like, we weren't able to make... We found the, the end of the band was quite stressful in terms of the creative side. We weren't happy with where things were going. We felt like we were working on songs for too long. So we'd love this idea. We'd have a spark of an idea in, um, in the rehearsal room. In fact, one's called Little Sparks. I'll show you later because we did finish it, but we never actually released it. Um, but so we had this kind of thing going on and then we worked and worked and worked on them so hard that by the end of it, we didn't like them anymore. So we just got to the point where the process wasn't fun. Yeah, well. it's, uh, well, uh, there's a lot, a lot to unpick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, firstly, apres skiing is the only type of skiing that I can do. Uh, so that's, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan of apres skiing. And um, yeah, there's, there's, it's, it's really interesting because like, like you say, it's almost like that loss of identity as a band but it's actually arguably the best time as a band which is a weird thing to sort of it's, it's growing up like you say it's sort of like realizing if i want to do this i've got to do this and, and try and sprinkle in some some uniqueness as well but obviously the dark side of that and and, and what happened mm. do you mind sort of explaining why it why it hit you so hard like have you got any looking yeah, back well, I, I, so so yeah, my, my dad suffered with mental health since he was 19. And I found out after he died, he took his own life. And I found out after he died that he'd had electric shock therapy when he was 19. And I didn't know that. And he died when he was 59. 
so he'd, and I knew that he'd had depression like I knew that he had this thing there was this kind of you know we, we knew the family knew it wasn't something that was hidden from us but I didn't really know what it was but I knew that he had it and I knew it came in waves and I remember when I was older 20 something he asked me he told me I, I went to see him one summer knowing that he was on a low ebb and we went for a walk around the village that we used to live in and he kind of told me like how it felt and what it was like and he, he asked me do you do you understand and I said no dad I don't I don't understand because I don't understand why you can't just switch it off or just say no I think something else and I've always felt lucky in that I've never been there my sister has suffered a lot more than I have with mental health and anxiety you know I, I, I almost feel like I have the normal levels of anxiety and mental health that come with just life having kids yeah <laughs> but yeah but so I didn't understand what what he was on about I felt I've always felt quite lucky for that but that also breaks my heart because I think god if I you know could have done something or said something um but that's I suppose that's why that, losing someone like that losing someone anyhow is hard but losing someone um like that when they sort of end it themselves you know that throws you into questions it throws you into a lot of things like anger now I just feel immense sadness that he never met my kids he never met my wife um, but and, and I suppose when I was that age and it was fresh it just took a few years to yeah not get over it but I don't know to stop drinking <laughs> I, I think I just went a bit off the rails really well, it's a shock factor, right? Like, like you say, yeah, if someone's it. ill or... To get past the shock, yeah, to just kind of get over the initial sort of punch to the stomach took a few years, I think, really. Yeah. Um, um, and I, I think part of the reason why I can't put the timeline together is because I don't really want to go there, really. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's you know very... I mean, so. Yeah. Mm. What, how do you think that's changed your perception of life? Okay, yeah, it definitely has so happiness for me is a pursuit that I think that I sort of hold in the highest I guess the highest kind of place for me in life it's I'm I'm always trying to uh, make sure that everything I do like makes me happy and those around me I do struggle with with people like being unhappy and I suppose that's you know that's come from that with my dad uh, um, I find it difficult because I just think if I I don't know, I, I choose to sort of pursue happiness, not in a selfish way, but in, in more of a kind of I don't know, um, self-aware way, and just think, oh I feel like shit, why is that? Try and figure it out and move past it so that's definitely something that um, I try and be kind all the time and, and try and sort of promote happiness and, and enable it in other people. Um, what else? What was the question? Just how it's how it's affected yeah, like, it affect the life essentially. So, kind of, so yeah, so that and then when I so when I set up a business in 2018 doing kind of music marketing and then uh, and then a not-for-profit aimed at sort of bringing funded music projects into Stoke and Staffordshire I had this idea of what these kind of pillars of this business would be because they were kind of the same business but limited company was selling marketing 
and the other yeah. one was for like doing funded projects. But I had this, these pillars, and one of them was like mental health. And I thought I want to do something in mental health because obviously, mu- music, the music industry is a funny one in that there is a lot of it, and it's not just artists; it's, it's everyone sort of behind the scenes and everything. There's, there's just so much mental health um, stuff going on that I just thought, well, if I can sort of build that into something. But what I struggled with was people are willing to pay for marketing. I don't really want to monetize mental health. I don't, do you know what I mean? I can't, I can't yeah. sort of see me going, oh, I'll sell some mental health. Obviously, if I was a therapist or a mental health nurse, then yes, someone, they've got to get paid for doing that thing. But I couldn't figure out how to sort of monetize that bit. So it took a bit of a backseat. But funnily enough, when me and Liam reconnected, so Liam was our radio plugger, got us the best opportunities in our band. That's almost the end of that story. But we that we took another single to him, and he said no. That was the, another part of that story. But he obviously he obviously didn't know what he was listening. No, he, he, <laughs> one more role. We, we we didn't. I don't even remember which track we talked to him actually. But that in a way made me think. Well, at least he's got the integrity to go. Mm, no, it's not there. But over the next ten years, I I knew who he was. I knew he was working with projects um, that I was kind of around and on the fringes of, and then. We reconnected 10 years after we'd worked together on a mental health first aid course that was funded by Musicians Union for him and Help Musicians UK for me, I think. And I remember having to describe who I was. I used to be a musician, now I do marketing. And that guy on camera seven got my band the best ever opportunities I've ever had. And we kind of reconnected. I sent him some music after we'd sort of chatted about what we were doing. He really loved it and we started working together. Um, I've forgotten where I was going with this question, but yeah, the cha- the changes. So it, it was then just talking about, um, yeah, trying to sort of build mental health into what I was doing. I realized probably the only thing for me to do at the moment is signposting. So my cousin is a mental health nurse, for example, and he's doing a master's in dual diagnosis, which is like, you've got a mental health problem and a drink problem, which I think is probably rife in the music industry, like drugs and mental health. Yeah. So I've kind of already talked to him and said, look, I'm trying to do something. I don't know what it is, but there's one part of it is around mental health and probably it'll just be signposting people. And if you just put your hand up um, and, you know, are there to sort of talk to people who need help, that's the sort of, that, that's sort of people I need. So, yeah, the mental health bit, I guess, came from my experiences with my dad. I don't, I don't suppose I would have the same sort of desire to do something in that space had it not yeah. been something I've lived with my whole life. That's fair enough, yeah. So we, I did a podcast with a guy called uh, Mustafa quite early on, and he works for he works in high-end fashion, um, which is extremely high-pressured, extremely sales-orientated, extremely clicky, extre- everything's extreme. Like I've mm. said extreme many times now. <laughs> But he he was taking on a role within the company to, to start to advocate mental health because within within that industry it was shunned. It was like you you just crack on, and it's in that it's in that industry. And I imagine this is probably similar in music, especially high up in music. It gets to a point where they would always find someone who would work more for less money because the people that want to work for those brands are mm. either trying to make a career in it or are already extremely wealthy anyway. And it's more of something to say at a dinner party. So I can see in that industry why it's there. What do you think is the key issue 
for mental health in music and musicians? Good question. Um, I also think, just before I answer that question, that I think it's um, rife in a lot of industries. Like my wife is a teacher, and I know for the last kind of 10 years that she's been occasionally taking responsibility for well-being in school and it's a challenge and I think um, yeah I think yeah mental health is a massive issue in teaching as well um, and because of the pressures and the accountability and I think it's only got worse and worse and worse over the years um, in music for me I, I think and this is kind of a little bit um, sort of man facting here but I think that there is investment going in to the music industry from a high level um, when people are at crisis point. So to try and stop another Avicii or to try and stop another um, suicide, there's there's kind of, there's almost like that level um, when people need it and they're at breaking point. For me, what's missing, and it, start, it is starting, I've started to see a lot more of it in recent years, is mentoring and coaching to stop people getting to that place in the first place. Um, you know, I don't know if you ever will, because you're always going to have like the freaks and weirdos of music who are yeah. who, who are. It's all right. There's beauty. There's got to be. Yeah, of course, there's yeah. There's beauty in the suffering, if you like. But it's. Um, I sort of feel like yeah, mentorship and coaching, and th and this is this is again the same probably across all industries. That's like where you can try and help people not get to that point in the first place. Yeah. Um, but we'd have no Adele albums, so there's got to be a battle. Do you know what? That's you joke as well, but that's that's kind of there is a part of that as well. It's like, well, you know, someone's got to suffer to kind of come to to create this sort of beautiful bits from it. Like you say, the cracks where the light comes in. You know, it's like, um, so yeah, there is a risk of that. Like if everyone had the perfect mentor and coach, and we were all on a certain level, you'd just have very monodynamic music for the rest of forever. Yeah, I mean, and hopefully there will all be always be artists who sort of have cathartic experiences expressing themselves with music. Yeah, um, because that's what everyone else needs, isn't it? That the listeners need that kind of. So one of my one of my businesses a while ago was working with professional athletes and essentially allowing them a career after sport because we obviously see all these high highbrow and hyper successful athletes and sort of elite level that earn millions of pounds but if you sort of peel past a layer you sort of get into league one football and lower rank tennis and golf and olympic sports they end up retiring in their mid-30s with not a lot of to show for it and it was essentially helping them sort of find another purpose because the cliche is finish football and then be a coach. And ironically, there isn't enough teams for everyone to coach. So it was trying to sort of, sort of on that angle as well. So what are your thoughts on that for sort of, I guess, lower, lower level artists? Not every artist can be a, a like a Grammy a winning artist and make yeah, millions. Yeah. That, that sounds nice. What you were, what you were doing there. And I think, um, one thing that I've always felt about, the mindset of sort of that's in the music industry it's almost like when you decide that you kind of want to have a go at music it's almost like you're not allowed to not aim for the top you're not allowed to kind of not be aiming to play glastonbury main stage 
and it and I feel like maybe there's a sort of path into allowing people to just do it for fun because there's I mean right now the music industry is in a funny place where making music has been democratized the cost of making music has come down and down and down the cost of releasing music has come down and down and down so there's just a plethora of mediocre music like for for want of a better term and as much as like I used to rile against the gatekeepers like I said like I used to just think no I'm not going to let anyone decide whether or not I can have a career I'm going to do it myself um there's reason for gatekeepers you know there's reason and there's a reason I listen to like when I'm on a, a good week 200 artists a week and choose five that I'm reaching out to because I think they're good enough and I think you need people who are willing to do that and prepared to do that and and um but also that doesn't mean that the other 195 shouldn't be doing music you know they just I just think there needs to be a bit more honesty in the music industry and, and maybe there needs to be an opportunity for people just to like do it for fun not do it because you're aiming to make a career out of it having said that I've always you know I am to make a career out of it and I aim to help other artists make a career out of it now but I just feel like at the moment there's so much noise it's hard enough for artists who are good to get heard in the first place um, so yeah I, I just think maybe validating people doing music for fun might might help nice yeah I, yeah I get that I think it's a passion right and some people should just find enjoyment in passion like you get you get very good very good singers that don't have don't have the X factor as well right like there's a reason why there could be two people that are equally as good at singing but there's there's always something else that gets that person in front of the other person i'm sure there's better singers out there as well or better musicians that are probably like why am i not here because i'm significantly more talented but there is in stardom anyway there's always got to be a little bit extra than just you're good at music there's i i i god knows how many people are grade eight in an instrument but i'm never gonna pursue it so yeah it should be it should be seen as a seen as a hobby as well Speaking of hobbies, is what what is it that you sort of now do outside of outside of your career? Or is it a little bit um, of fun. I I run every now and then, not enough. Not enough. But I started running actually after after I lost my dad. Um, me and my sister signed up for the Great North Run, and we did it for Mind, and it was an excuse for us to kind of you know to get into being more healthy, really. And then she went, we should do the London Marathon. And I was like, yeah, we'll do that for Mental Health Foundation. So I signed up and she didn't. I did it on my own. <laughs> but <laughs> since then, she's she's done, she's, she married a guy who was into mountain marathons and this kind of thing. So she's done a lot of that. I've done more of the sort of road running, trail running stuff. And I love running. I love trail running. I love that I can step out of my house, put my trainers on, turn left, and I'm kind of up the downs banks and, and kind of in the countryside. It can, some of the roads down there remind me of Cornwall so my dad's from Plymouth and we used to go across the Tamar into Cornwall and I just love it I, so I love running, I don't mind running in the pee and rain I'd rather run in, on trails than in the countryside um, I love, I mean in terms of hobbies I, I, I sort of, I still pick the guitar up every now and then, I've got a clunky old I don't even own a guitar anymore, I got rid of more but my wife's got a clunky old acoustic which is quite nice and so I play that every now and then um, 
other than that, it's just hanging out with the kids. I've got two kids now, 11 and 9. And so I try and spend as much time as I can with them. Um, so, yeah, my son's into Minecraft, so I've had to learn. I don't really know how to play it. <laughs> he just beats me every now and then. So yeah, I mean that's that's kids, right? They are yeah. they become a they become a job in themselves. So I've been told I'm not, yeah, I'm yeah. not at that stage yet. I, I love them. So yeah. Um, so I, I guess yeah, other than that, I don't really have hobbies. You know, we sort of watch watch films, but yeah, the healthiest thing I do is running. Um, so try and hang out with family. Yeah, cool. So like, let's talk about family. Like, what mm. you've obviously. It sounds like you had a really good relationship with your father uh, that then just stopped mm. and now you are a father how do you take the positives from what you got from your father and also let's the, the, essentially the negatives as well so what are the positives and the negatives that you now utilize yourself as a father what have you taken from mm. good question I've, I've never really thought about that because he's not been there as I've had kids, I've never really thought about like, but the good things about him, I suppose a lot of my values come from him, I guess. Like he was a really kind and loving guy. Um, the bad, you know, what was bad about him? I used to get a bit narky. I think I probably got that as well. So my daughter always asked me if I'm, are you grumpy today? No, I'm not grumpy. Um, but yeah, I suppose I almost feel like thinking about it. He was often there. He was always there as well. And I'm here. I, you know, I, I'm sort of where I've ended up in life at the moment, at least. I you know, work from home quite often. And I'm the one taking the kids to school and picking them up. Much to, I know my wife would probably rather that wasn't the way it was, but that is the way it is. And I love that. I'm, you know, it's fine. It's great. Um, what, yeah, what else have I taken from my dad? I, he, yeah, he was quite creative, but I think I've gone further than him in, in terms of like doing creativity more as as part of my career um, yeah it's uh it's interesting that you like that sort of stuff you're saying um, in regards to your family and stuff i uh i listened to a podcast with liz house and he was talking about his life and how it's sort of broken up into what he calls chapters and I sort of see it now. So I've got friends who've got kids as well, so young, younger than yours, so sort of in there. They're just about to go to school, so like three, four, mm. and five. And you can see that for some of them, this is their sole, this is their, like, this is their sole chapter now, is I'm going to be a dad, the best dad that I physically can be, probably for the next eight years till they sort of go go away dad you're uh, you're in the way uh, I, yeah i'm not looking forward to the day that my son doesn't want to hold my hand when we walk to school i to be honest i thought it would have stopped already but it hasn't and i'm clinging on and he's going up to middle school next year with his sister and it's a big change and and it won't be long before i don't have to walk him to school anymore so yeah i'm loving this period of time and yeah well, maybe it'll be more like that. Maybe you won't. It's not that he's not holding your hand to school. It's that he's just walking himself. And if you were there, you'd be holding your hand, mate. Maybe. I, to be honest, I, I remember my. I remember what it felt like holding my dad's hand. He had really quite dry, callousy hands. 
And I remember it well, because I remember after he died, I remember thinking, I, I, I'd sort of wake up and feel that feeling and think, I'm never going to feel that again. And when my daughter tries to stop holding my hand at the moment, because she goes, you've got really dry hands, I said to her, one day you will miss that. You will just hold my bloody hand. <laughs> but yeah. Nice. It's uh, so not a safety thing, just pure missing. No. The fact that yeah, gonna... just thinking. Uh, it reminds me of my dad, and one day you'll <laughs> you'll miss my dry hands. <laughs> so your your relationship with your with your partner right now is in sort of well, like you say, it's in a in a position that you you're sort of looking after the kids a little bit more and you're sort of focusing on on this new side of the business what are the what are the discussions around that have there been any discussions what's what's the conversations um i suppose the only discussions are it wouldn't be this way if um if 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 we had a choice i think um only because so she's she's the main wage earner uh she's a deputy head teacher so she's kind of out the door at half seven and back at home probably like half six most days. Um, and I've got the flexibility to be able to, well, A, because I do a bit for myself, but also because I've got a boss who's, who's a mate of mine who's a really, the, the two, I do two days a week for a, a friend of mine and he's flexible enough to let us, who've got kids, do that bit. I suppose it's just the way it is. I think the, the only discussions we've had really are the reason that I'm doing what I'm doing in life and trying to set my own business up and, and kind of try and build an income is so that my wife doesn't have to. That, I mean, that's not my sole focus because if it was, I'd just do anything. But it's kind of, it, it's like, that's what I'm aiming for. I'm aiming for like to earn enough money so that she can do something else. Um, and so that's a big driving force. She knows that. I sometimes have to remind her when she sort of wonders and at the moment you know it feels like that's that's a lovely that's a lovely idea or a lovely dream but you know we're a million miles away um while i'm still sort of i guess making ends meet so yeah but in terms of like the plans for us we're we're fine we're happy and we're happy where we are but i've got designs for our roles to switch and in fact it might work quite nicely if the kids have got old enough that they don't need dad there in the mornings and afternoons um, because I know that when I get to the point where I've got the chance to build that the kind of income that I need I'm probably going to have to be away more often because that's where the music industry is it's not here in sunny little stone so um, there might come a time where I have to be in Manchester, Birmingham, London more regularly and possibly further afield. I, I work with an artist in um, an Italian artist who lives in Barcelona. I'd love to go and hang out with him for a bit. <laughs> um, but uh, It's a tough job, mate. <laughs> yeah, it's a tough job swanning around the world. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I think it's quite useful talking about this and I'm kind of half using this as a bit of a, you know, not a therapy session, although we, I think we've done the therapy session bit, but now I'm using it as a life planning session. I'm thinking, yeah, the timing could work quite well, actually. Like the kids getting old enough when they're at middle school and then a lot can slow down and I can pick up the slack. Hopefully. Yeah, that, nice. I mean, yeah that's the plan. <laughs> cool. So let's, let's sort of delve into, into career now a little bit and sort of, sort of touch on that. Mm. 
is is when was when was that change? When was it like musician to helping musicians, or was it almost like a force? Um, when did it happen? So, I think because I was doing all the sort of marketing and management stuff for the projects that I was in, uh, I think there came a point, like maybe two thousand and eleven. I remember helping an artist release an album in two thousand and eleven, and I think so. Possibly before that. I decided that I was going to start to approach artists and offer kind of marketing services, offer to help them do the sort of things I'd been doing for myself. I think at that point I'd already been asked by other mates who were in bands. They'd kind of asked me to help them. I wasn't charging anyone anything at that, at that point, but I was just dabbling stuff to do with digital marketing and an artist, and then spent like ten years doing that evenings and weekends, and then like 2018 sort of decided right if I'm going to do this it was good timing for me really because I went 2018 I'd done a master's in digital marketing I'd done a master's in digital marketing after doing 10 years of digital marketing just to prove to myself that I knew what I was on about Uh, and I did that evenings and weekends whilst working full-time so I kind of went okay I've done that and I used that the prod the final sort of project to look at a blueprint sort of marketing strategies for independent musicians so I always had this idea that I was trying to trying to find something to do as a career uh, in that space and so yeah I guess some of it was kind of natural and some of it was a path that I set my sights on um, then set that business up in 2018 and p- sort of pivoted a lot I started doing too much for too little trying to do everything for an artist for not enough money um, and then eventually very you know, within a couple of years I think had some clients that were worth like 14 times what I thought I could charge and was like okay that's helpful because then you can actually do the job better without just stressing about, um, yeah, trying to do the, I don't know, what you could get done. Um, but that decision to kind of, I guess, move away from creative and into marketing just happened naturally. I remember having a day where I worked with an artist called Ewan Grono, who's uh, Johnny Marr's bass player, and he was releasing some stuff independently. And I was like, we spent a day kicking around this bloody EP artwork <laughs> and it was just like move that two pixels up that one down and you know this font here's 14 different fonts you know they're all pretty much identical but let's try them all out and it's, it took ages because we were doing it remotely it was during lockdown and eventually he kind of replied on some whatsapp message said, yes we've nailed it and I was like I got this massive wave of energy like yes we've done it and now I can upload it and we can do the distribution and, and I realised that that process of helping him make progress really filled me up. I was like, that I really enjoyed that. And so, yeah, that I suppose that was partly where I went, ah, oh, yeah, this is where I need to be. I, I love this. Um, but it was a gradual process. I'd been doing it for like a couple of years, paid, before I had that l- little epiphany. <laughs> um, cool. Well, yeah, it comes in comes in weird places, I guess. I'll tell you a I'll tell you a fun story about what I what they what you call like ninety eight to a hundred percent off off camera because it's it's quite a you'll like it moving forward I think it'll uh, it'll help you with uh, with clients because I've I've been there mate I've dealt with clients as well but uh, yeah it's uh, it's an interesting story so mm-hmm. just to sort of touch on something you you touched on before about this being a little bit of a, a life planning session. Sort of moving, moving forward into life and, and sort of thinking about career, other musicians, family, hobbies, 
picking up the old guitar. How important are you finding life planning or is this something that you're recently discovering and, and want to do more? Oh, life planning. I, I don't think I've, I, I don't know. Have I done, I sort of feel like maybe I haven't really done that much life planning. Um, I've just kind of done what's in front of me. Um, but that's not 100% true, I don't think, because I have done... I remember seeing a house in the Peak District, not not far away, like an hour away, but the house had this kind of outbuilding that was like a studio space, and my wife is a textiles teacher primarily and, and would love to do sort of workshops, and, and I sort of feel like at some point I'd quite like to have a recording studio, even if it's just a space for me to sort of do some music in or perhaps help some artists do some stuff in it. And, and that turned into this kind of almost a vision board idea. I can see the house in my head now. And so I think that's as far as I kind of take those things. I kind of go, that house is good. I, I know how much it would cost and, and those kind of things. I don't, I'm, I'm looking at my board behind my screen and it's, it's all just notes and bits and pieces. I, I don't do too much kind of um, planning. So I, I almost feel like I could probably benefit from, yeah, from, doing more of it because when I have set my sights on something I've just done it whether that's a thing that takes two years or ten minutes nice I'm going to ask you a question now that you might it's going to be a hard another hard one I think but I kind of like it you seem quite content right now with with what's going on in life uh, there's obviously aspirations and things that are sort of outside of that, but right now, present, you seem quite quite content. Is that is that fair? And if so, how do you how do you deal with that? How do you mm. allow yourself to be in that you know state? Um, is it fair? Am I content? I'm definitely sort of I'm happy with yeah with where I'm at in life, but I I feel that is a massive risk, like because basically one of the points in my life where I was in that band that were playing covers where I'd rather eat my arm than play covers I went it, this was my final year of uni and I was I remember looking around I remember the day really clearly and I was looking over there was McDonald's and over there was Burger King I was thinking I, I've got no money I've run out of money I had I thought I need to get a job it was final year and I got a phone call from a mate who's in the band Twem he used to be my drummer um, and he's pretty much my best mate from college till now he phoned me and said look Dave is leaving the band. Dave's a guitarist. Dave also owns the booking agency. Dave is the friend who I work with two days a week. Dave's leaving the band. Do you want to come and do some guitar for a bit? I was like, Burger King, McDonald's, or get paid to play guitar. Even though I thought it was prostituting your art and I didn't want it, I thought, right, okay, I'd rather get paid to play my guitar. Yeah, okay. And I did that for four years. But I knew that those guys in that band, and not all of them, because a couple of them have changed, but that was a comfortable trap you know you could have you could have very happily just gone yeah we were kind of earning a salary doing two two gigs a week sometimes it was busy in summer and it was busy in december but for the rest of the times we'd have months where we weren't doing very much and while i was in the band i kind of tried to encourage us to get like we were paying ourselves very hand to mouth and i turned it into a salary so we got paid it wasn't a lot but we'd be paid like 1500 quid a month whether we gigged or didn't and that I just thought it was a comfortable trap. So I spent the five days in between gigging, working on pursuing my career in music. I ended up getting a job writing electronic music for a sound design company, which is what I was into at the time. 
And I got that. Again, that was like me going, right, I want this. That's what I'm going to do. I did some things. I downloaded at the time. I downloaded a bunch of videos from this sound design company and redid the sound and sent them to this guy. And he was just really impressed that I'd done that. And I got a job working for him. So, uh, but now where am I? I? I always worry about this comfortable trap. So I don't want to be there because I have got this ambition that I want to get to the point where I'm earning the household income and my wife can kind of step down, do whatever she wants. That's my goal. I think if I get there, that'll be when I can sort of, I don't know, breathe out, I suppose, and go, right, now, now I'm content. Now I've got where I want to get to in life. Um, right now, I'm not there. I know I'm definitely not there. I've got a lot of work to do to get there. And I worry, I suppose, that I'm too, like, too content. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, I think the more I look at it and the more I'm sort of dealing with it right now is it's, I feel like it's a state and it sort of links into those chapters. So, like, I think it's really important to be content with your current situation but you shouldn't feel forced to stay there. I think it's literally what you said. Like, I completely agree with you. It's okay to enjoy where you're at and not be ashamed or feel pressure that you're going, you need to get to somewhere else. It's okay to be happy in the moment, but it's also not wrong to want more. And mm. I think that's, that's how I'm looking at it right now. Like, and if you can find that, you are you're onto a winner, I think. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And you know, it's a bit of a cliche, but you know, enjoy the journey and the process because that's you know that's life, isn't it? And I think, um, yeah, I, I remember I started to do sort of mindfulness stuff a few years ago, and I've dipped in and out of it. And I remember one of the things was like it's about trying to not or not have a sort of striving mind, not to always be striving. And I think that's fine, but I think there's a balance because you could just sit around on your arse all day and, you know, do nothing. But, yeah, like you say, for me, I think you've nailed it. It's, it's about I am happy where I am. And the happiness, as I've said, is really important to me. And it's not just my happiness. It's the happiness of me and everyone around me. Um, but that is, I, I've always, you know, I'm always aware that I have this other aspiration, another thing that I want to get to. So I'm, I'm not going to forget that, I suppose. Perfect. Honestly, I think that is an absolute beautiful way to end it. So Rich, thank you so much for your time. If there's any closing remarks from yourself, it'd be great to hear from them. But thank no, you very much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Um, I, I feel like you've taken me through, and, and maybe you have done this through the kind of eight pillars of what the true man sort of framework is maybe it's been quite, it's been cathartic uh, uh, you know for one uh, yeah uh, at least so thank you it's been therapeutic and cathartic i've really enjoyed it enjoyed talking to you 